Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. And this week, uh, yes, it's about that time of the year uh, <laughs> where we start rounding things up and making lists and seeing who's nice. Um, and this, for this particular list, we're going to be focusing on television, the small screen that is, whether it's cable, whether it's broadcast, whether it's streaming, although to be honest, most of it is streaming these days. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be picking out um, our select four. Um, our four favorite new shows, uh, meaning only season one's new shows of 2021, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be discussing um, two, not one, but two um, hilarious girl band sitcoms on <laughs> Peacock. Uh, one is called Girls 5 Ever. Uh, one is called We Are Lady Parts. Uh, alongside, um, our main topic is Netflix's uh, kind of devastating portrait of poverty in Maid. Uh, a limited series that just premiered a few months ago, uh, as well as HBO Max's satire of the comedy industry mm-hmm. in Hacks. Uh, plus, you 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 do want to tune in um, the, to, to the whole show because right after we talk about these four shows, we'll be listing our top 10 shows overall, meaning, you know, not just new shows, not just old shows, but everything combined, you know. Yeah. Um, I do find that a lot of my favorite shows this year um, I didn't pick for this particular episode because they're in like season three or season four, things like that. So it's a bit tough for my uh, co-host to, you know, catch up all at once, mm-hmm. uh, which is why we're sticking to new shows of 2021. And not this, that there's any dearth of quality of new shows in 2021. Uh, there's a lot of good new stuff here, man. Um, Isa, like besides this four, are there any new shows that, that uh, really struck your fancy this year? Ooh, new shows that have struck my fancy this year. Yeah, season uh, one. Season yeah. one, uh, Hellbound for sure. I've mm-hmm. just kind of caught up with that, so like it recency bias lah, definitely. Definitely, uh, yeah. For that, yeah, and then a couple of others. I think everything. Let me look. Everything that's on my top five this year are all season I'm, ones. I think. Oh, okay. So you have your own um list of new shows. That's awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my particular top five lists are all in the second, third, or fourth season. So yeah, uh, it's a bit different for me. But I do have to shout out one entry that I was really considering to put on this particular list. Yeah. But I just couldn't, you know, like I just couldn't notch not, I couldn't I couldn't notch like we are lady parts or girls five ever out of the way for this show. Lah. But <laughs> I love this show. Nevertheless, shout out uh to Hulu slash Disney Plus's only murders in the building. Oh, uh yeah. one of my top ten shows of the year. Uh Martin Short, um Selena Gomez, um an interesting parody of true crime podcasts mm-hmm. while still being a good true crime mystery. Um, it functions on two levels and both of them, the satire level and the straight up following the tropes level, both work brilliantly. It has to, um, I mean, in terms of like murder mysteries, it's probably my favorite of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen Only Murders in the Building? I have not. I have not. I've seen it on a lot of lists though. Mm-hmm. So I am curious to check out what's, what the hype is about. Yeah, yeah. I figure like only murders in the building is probably, you know, besides, you know, your squid games and stuff like that, one of the Edmare of East Town, like one of the breakout hits of the year. Yeah. Um, so I figure like, I didn't need to give it any more shine. Like only murders in the building is on one of the most successful streaming platforms in the world. Uh Disney Plus slash Hulu. So 
chances are you've probably seen it because it's it's pretty hype. Uh, but let's get into like our four shows that we're talking about uh this week. Um, of these four, what are your what is your favorite? Oh, this, that's so hard to pick, dude. It's mm-hmm. kind of insane. Uh, I think I think my favorite is We Are Lady Parts. You okay? Yeah, We Are Lady Parts. Just for like, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with kind of everything that's going on in touches of some interesting and serious issues at the same time, but you know it's not like made is amazing, but it's heavy. It's a heavy, heavy watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, I did enjoy Hex and, and Ghost Five Ever, but you know, I I don't know, just the the kind of like underground music thing kind of checked a lot of boxes for me. Oh mm. yeah, Lady Parts, yeah. Definitely, definitely, you know, and, and one of those rare shows with like Muslim protagonists mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, just don't get enough representation these days. And, and this is a good show uh, for, you know, much like Rami and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite is Girls 5 Ever. Um, we'll get into <laughs> that in, in a little bit just because I particularly um, enjoy Tina Fey. I know this show is not show run by Tina Fey, but her brand of comedy is all over it. Like the showrunner is actually a Tina Fey um, acolyte. Um, a protege, you know, her, mm-hmm. her head writer for um, 30 Rock and um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and has since taken over the mantle. Um, and I just love that kind of like layered, quick fire, um, almost cannot process like the, the 78 jokes per minute <laughs> um, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I really enjoy Girls Forever because, you know, I rewatch it all the time and I always catch new jokes. Uh, but let's begin with the heaviest of them all uh, to, to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it wasn't good. This was a great show. Let's talk about Netflix's Maid. Um, it was inspired by Stephanie Land's uh, memoir of the same name. Um, May tells the story of Alex, uh, played by the leftovers' um, Margaret Qualley, uh, who is a young woman living in Washington and raising her two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Uh, the audience meets Alex as she's embarking on a transition that, uh, I mean, quite frankly, a lot of real people have had to make. Um, fleeing in the middle of the night, trying not to wake her boyfriend, Sean, in order, in order to protect her daughter and herself from the emotionally abusive uh, boyfriend, um, Alex and her child make it out. But that's only the beginning of the series where creator Molly Smith Meltzer um, takes us. Uh, Meltzer uses Land's memoir as the catalyst to tell um, stories about women too often presented in the negative, uh, stereotypical terms. I think Meat forces us to confront our own uh, societal attitudes about everything from domestic violence to those who rely upon government assistance. Uh, right away, um, Alex feels like she doesn't fall into the stereotypical parameters of a situation. You know, she's a she's a victim of emotional abuse. Uh, but Alex doesn't believe that she requires domestic violence housing because it would take a spot away from quote unquote a person who's been really being abused. Um, so the depiction of Alex's mental state shows us how she feels worthless, worthless of help, worthless of love and ultimately worthless in telling her story to help others. Um, Alex isn't unintelligent, but she's surrounded by situations and people that chronically underestimate her because of social assumptions uh, and her own lack of self-confidence. Uh, eventually, she finds uh, work as a maid to support herself and her young child. Uh, and we follow her through you know, various episodes of her scrubbing toilets in mansions, um, we follow her through domestic violence shelters, family court, various untenable housing situations, um, even as her finances dwindle despite her hard work cleaning filth for rich, rich patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a haunting, yet at the same time inspiring, 
human story that might make you rethink your assumptions about poverty. Uh, what did you think about the limited series Made? Oh man, um, Made is no no joke. A harrowing watch. Very real, right? Very yeah, real. it is extremely real, and there mm. are plenty of long stretches where you are tempted to despair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because like Alex is just man, talk about a rock and a hard place, and you know, a cliffside, and and you like just kind of hitched in on all sides by untenable situations, right? Uh, gross injustices. Uh, it it is in. It is so difficult to imagine like being in her shoes, right? Mm-hmm. And as we are brought along as as an audience um, through her story, and there's just also, it's it's a lot. It really, really is a lot. Um, and none of it is is overplayed or exaggerated, right? Like every single um, issue or conflict or, or or problem that she has to deal with is feels very immediate in 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 the moment on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, you it draws your attention to that and her need to address what is most immediate in front of her, but yep. at the same time, at the back of your mind, right? There's like a a ton of other things that you know that she's facing and she's going to have to face, uh, either as a result of 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 the problem at hand, you know, mm-hmm. and how she decides to resolve that, or you know, just kind of like hanging over her head. So, it's very tense a lot of the time. Uh, but very, very kind of finely wrought. I think the the pacing of this show is incredible. Mm. There isn't really... There are moments of a respite, but those are few and far between and very well placed, right? Like any one point in time where you feel like it is going to get too much and that you might need to like stop watching for a bit, right? It grants you a bit of respite, you know, a, a bit of breathing room before mm. you kind of like dives back in again. Um. Yep. Yeah. It's it's a. I wouldn't say like roller coaster ride necessarily. Mm-hmm. Oh, but man, it is it is quite a ride for sure. Definitely, definitely. You know, like it's realistic in the sense that um, you know, a a, a huge population of the world live like this, mm-hmm. and you know, Alex is in in some ways luckier than a lot of others because she does live in a first world country with financial aid from the government. But I mean, the show like goes to no goes to like extreme lengths to show you know how difficult it is to get that aid uh the government rate tape which is just so impossible to figure out and navigate you know um as one of her employers tells alex right you know the the one that runs the meat company Mm -hmm. um work is the one thing you can count on everything else is fragile i think it's an apt sentiment for the show because it really is uh, about the value of financial and psychological hard work yeah um Large swaths of meat follows her as she's homeless, right? Mm-hmm. As she is cleaning houses and fights her way through layers and layers of government red tape just to put um, food on Maddie's plate and a roof over their heads. Um, among the show's stylistic flourishes is an on-screen tally of how much money she's earning versus what she's spending yeah. um, to drive home the maximum effort that she puts in for the most modest rewards, which is just basic subsistence um it's a slow journey for alex um that sees her like i said you know moving through domestic violence shelters family courts housing situations that are untenable including a stay with her bipolar mother paula 
um, who is played by Margaret Qualley's real mom, um, Andy McDowell, uh, who does a great job here. So this is one of her best performances. Yeah. Um, also frequent reminders that climbing the social economic ladder isn't always a one-way journey. Um, you know, sometimes she falls up, sometimes she falls down. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot of scrappy spirit here and it's quite inspiring despite the tough subject matter and 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 the toughness of Alex's situation. And I mm-hmm. think much of the watchability of Maid is a credit to uh, Margaret Qualley, who um, most of you may know from either The Leftovers or yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, who delivers a kind of movie star level performance here. Oh, now, yeah. not, not in the sense that she's glamorous since, you know, Alex you know, spends a lot of time begging filth and... But but it's more in the way that she breathes life and life and joy into long sequences that would be um, tedious without her charisma. Yeah. Um. She also clicks wonderfully with the baby actor or the child actor, um, mm-hmm. who manages to seem like the happiest child ever put on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the midst of this often sad tale, um, the the baby actor sometimes reminds me of um Walt's uh, baby from Breaking Bad, who just seems oh, happy yeah. all the time mm-hmm. despite everything that's going on. Um, and Alex is you know usually at the center of every scene, and I think the showrunner and the collaborators finds ways to make their heroine feel more present by offering periodic flashes of you know memory or imagination and the various emotions she's struggling to conceal from the world around her. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this kind of subjective storytelling because there is you know one particular scene that is a case in point, you know. Um, Alex, you know, um, she's feeling very lost in family in a family court hearing, right? Yeah. Um, and she doesn't know what she doesn't know all the terms and everything, and she just keeps hearing the words out of the lawyer and the judge's mouth, just like legal, 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 legal. You know, mm-hmm. um, it it could have had the it could have broken the realistic spell for the rest of the show, but in a way that silent experience actually makes it feel more realistic because I think most people in that situation would not be understanding all the jargon that's being thrown about by lawyers and judges and stuff like that. You know, yeah. they're just concerned about you know their ordeal and and in a way it actually enhances our understanding of alex and how she's feeling throughout um what do you think about like the the stylistic flourishes do you think that it counteracts the realism of the show or do you think that it added um um positive touches to instead i i i think by and large the the flourishes that we 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 get to see right or here for that matter Mm -hmm. um a lot of it i i don't think it takes away from the realism right like in any that anyone who goes through like high periods of stress or like traumatic situations um, uh, will experience from time to time like all kind of like altered states of perception yeah, yeah. so like the the fact that they made these very kind of poignant um, flourishes to to you know drive home a point and all of that kind of like an honest story sh- uh, show running level right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can appreciate that, right? But I don't think it necessarily takes away, you know, um, because it, it is, it is, I think, a fair representation, an artistic license on, on, and a fair representation of what the human experience is under times in times of duress. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think by and large, it has been very tasteful all, all, all through. Uh, if yeah. anything, I, I appreciate the, the effort to, well, if some may say, subvert the realism for an, a more emotionally impactful um, turn. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay. Um, what is your opinion on her two core relationships in the show? Number one, her relationship with Sean, her boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend, and number one, her relationship with her bipolar mother, played by Annie McDowell. Okay. Um, yeah, let, 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 let's let's start with the boyfriend. Uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like Sean feels, for the most part, right, I think for the first kind of half of the season, mm-hmm. very much like, what you would expect an atypical like TV show abusive boyfriend to be, mm-hmm. uh, and we only kind of he only gets not humanized. Humanized is not the right word. I think when he has his realizations during like the ending of the show and all mm-hmm. of that and how that plays out, you know that we that we kind of like see him fill out a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it is always interesting to see when there are custody battles like this, right? Uh, where the line is kind of drawn between your own desires as a parent for the best interest of your child in question, uh, regardless of, you know, animosity or an- antagonism towards the other parent. Um, and like what is, you know, has to do with your ego and, and all of that. I think like that definitely plays out a bit more for Sean eventually mm. than it does for Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that pretty much summarizes my my thoughts on Sean. Yeah. Uh, uh what about the mom? Uh, uh Andy McDowell's character. Oh, I think that was a more difficult relationship for me to kind of like process. Right. Mm. There's something about that that uh, I don't know if it necessarily helps you understand maybe why uh, Alex has a propensity towards toxic relationships, mm-hmm. um, because you're constantly reminded of the fact like her mom has been like this for way, way longer than she has been with Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this unrelenting kind of assault, right? Uh, on on Alex's personhood, on her identity, mm-hmm. on her validity as, as you know, a human being that comes yep. from, from home, right? It comes from like the person who bore you and for the large part, I mean, we can go all about mommy issues and stuff like that, but e- essentially, her ability to have put up with her mother for so long mm-hmm. and her ability to kind of like survive that and grind through that is also part of the reason I feel that um, Sean's toxicity is is tolerated for far longer than it should have been. Um, mm. You know, I, I I know that's like a psychoanalytic read from me myself as an audience, uh, but that it does feel that way. Yeah, I I think if anything else, the fact that the the people in her life that give her the most kind of like heartbreak and problems, namely the mother and Sean, uh, yep. are the most harrowing. Right, mm-hmm. like the, the systemic problems, the you know the injustices, the whole poverty cycle that she finds herself caught in, all of that certainly is there, and it's a lot easier to see a way out, like you said, right, like like the 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 value of hard work, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know achieve, trying to achieve a financial freedom in order to kind of like free yourself from that as much as in real life that's not really necessarily true. Um, mm. yeah but like the emotional work of freeing yourself from you know people who were once loved ones I guess 
uh, yep. is is much more difficult and much more hard won. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's uh, as as much as like you want to celebrate the little victories that Alex gets across the thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it does feel like one thing after another, it also does feel at the end of the entire series like there's a fair bit more work to be done. You know, just eliminating like these elements from your life or these people from your life doesn't necessarily translate to you being free of the effect they have had on your lives. Mm. Um, and like, I, I don't know, uh, did they say if this this is a limited series, right? So there, there isn't going to be necessarily a second season or anything like that. Yep. Yeah, so like it, there's there's a lot more when the, season, uh, when the series ends that needs to be done. But at the same time, having seen her struggle and overcome and grit her teeth and just kind of like pull through some of the what feels to be like impossible situations mm-hmm. gives you hope. Right. And mm. like, that's what I like. As difficult for a watch as this is, it ends on hope. Mm. Um, and that's incredibly important, I think, when you are dealing with a piece of media that is dealing with these, these kind of like issues and these like thematic resonances. Um, yep. you, you have to, you know, uh, in order for people to walk away with something, you know, inspiring or useful or educational. Uh, or informed about that, right? There has to be an element of hope. Otherwise, it's very easy to become cynical and dismissive about what you've just seen. Yep. Yep. Agreed, agreed. Um, I think there's a level of nuance that is present throughout the show mm-hmm. where it doesn't um, automatically paint Sean as an evil person yeah. uh, so much as a troubled person. Um, same thing with uh, her mother, Annie McDowell, you know, like, they all they are each dealing with their own kind of issues that brings out yeah. their their worst impulses and it convincingly explains why um it's not easy to cut people out from your lives, especially people that you love, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think Robinson and 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 Varitis, they do a very effective job of conveying how Alex can be taken in by Sean, who yeah. has, you know, this this Jekyll and Hyde personality tied in part to his uh, drinking issues. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, like, and and with McDowell, it, it shows how Paula, the mother, can alternate, be, alternately be both a savior and a burden, um, as well as all that. You know, it explores the the catch twenty two headaches of the social safety net. Um, it it really definitely illustrates the additional logistical hurdles that Alex faces because I think Sean's abuse was emotional rather than than physical, mm-hmm. um, even as it makes. Um, her even even though it's just as palpable as as um physical abuse is not as easy to explain or or, or prove to a yeah. court of law, um, and as Alex begins addressing the practical realities of life, you know, like way below the poverty line, I think both she and the show mate are aware of the psychological issues that helped lead her into this mess. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think later episodes become as much about Alex unpacking how she already got here yeah. as they are about her, you know, grinding away to provide for herself and Maddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the season also cleverly depicts uh, many opportunities a more formulaic show might take to get Alex out of this mess, you know, yeah. um, before one by one revealing how none of the people she encounters are going to save her. You know, sometimes you think 
this guy she meets is going to save her. Sometimes she, you think, you know, this boss she meets is going to save her, you know, for, for various plausible and, and for various plausible reasons. But I think the show makes, a, makes it a point that Alex has to save herself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the key here. And that's the key there. Like that she develops this fascinatingly tumultuous relationship with um, one of her clients as well, you know, Regina, who is this wealthy attorney who is her first house cleaning client mm -hmm. and in the process of adopting a child. I think a lesser show would resolve all the major problems by having Alex, who is great with Maddie, who is great with Maddie and other kids, become Regina's nanny, right? Yeah. And when Alex proposes, proposes it here, Regina looks at her like, the fuck you talking about, girl? <laughs> um, you know? um, but, but at the same time, also, I really like the, the, the developing and burgeoning relationship that Alex has with Regina as well. That's one mm -hmm. of the, that's the show's like third uh, third important relationship for Alex. Oh yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah. You know. Um. Any final thoughts on me before we move on to some lighter stuff? <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I just want to shout out uh Amy Carrero who plays Danielle mm. um the woman that that um Alex meets in the domestic violence yeah the TV shelter like yeah. the the two moments between the two act, uh, actors um like not a lot of screen time but like kind of it was pretty magic I have to say. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, Amy Carrero is also the voice of um, Adora and uh, She-Ra. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. She... That, that, that's one of those moments that kind of really stood out for me. Like, we do have a big kind of like host of supporting characters, so to say, uh, mm -hmm. outside of that. But like, they are kind of like small exchanges while they are at the DV shelter really were very, very heartwarming. Um, yep. Just the ability to kind of like commiserate and communicate with each other as women who find themselves in a similar position. Um, mm. That was one of the kind of like moments of respite, right? That mm. I felt was sorely needed after episode one, mm -hmm. um, which was like pretty much nonstop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and with that particular character, her friend in the DV shelter. Um, it's nice to see because she's the one who helps Alex at first. You know, she's yep. she seems confident, self-possessed, aware of the cycles of abuse. Uh, she's the one that's giving Alex advice, and only minor spoiler that only to see her end up back with her boyfriend. Yeah, it's both heartbreaking and at the same time realistic. And Alex has this reaction like that would never happen to me. And of course, you know, at that point, like Alex, will, <laughs> Alex is probably going to do that in the future uh, also. You yeah. know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this is a show about Alex who's working very, very hard to escape the place where we find uh, her in and where it mm -hmm. begins. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the show is committed to work as Alex is and, and Mate is careful in how it details each step of Alex's attempt to escape yep. poverty so that the little things that would be forgettable elsewhere, you know, like a small job going well, a friend opening her door without judgment, things like that, they, they land with extra force here. Um, I think, you know, final thoughts uh, have tissues handy because, you know, as much oh, as the happy man. parts, there are sad parts. Uh, this is a great one. Uh, your final thoughts on me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think, maybe this is going to be one of those um, that I'm going to, I'm going to file under, like, I'm probably never going to watch this again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I do think it's a good watch and I do think it's an important watch um, just to see how difficult it can be right like for those of us who are privileged enough to not find ourselves in a situation like that mm -hmm. uh it's 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 an important watch and it's well made it's well shot it's beautiful the acting is solid like 
um, I appreciate the nuance. I appreciate like some of the bolder moves they've made in terms of like artistic license. Um, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. It definitely cracks my top ten for the year for sure. Definitely. Um, let's move on to HBO Max's Hacks. Um, Hacks also one of the best new shows of twenty twenty one. This is an excellent dramedy that navigates the dark mentorship that forms between Deborah Vance, uh, who is a legendary Las Vegas comedian, uh, and an entitled 25-year-old millennial comedy writer. Um, this is a plunge into the stand-up comedy scene that you know explores a world full of uh, assholes and bullies <laughs> and martyrs. Um, this is a world where trauma gets transmuted into laughs. And yep. Hex is the rare comedy that not only nails its punchlines, but brutally deconstructs the pain, the effort, and genius it takes to make jokes land. Um, starring Gene Smart and Heina Eidbender, who are spectacular in this, uh, this is a real love letter to life in the comedy trenches uh, that is real and painful in a way that maybe the marvelous Maisel, Mrs. Maisel isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about Hex? Oh man, Gene Smart is amazing. <laughs> always, uh, always. Yeah, always. Like, uh, she hasn't done anything wrong in a very, very long time. Uh, I find it very difficult to call it the Gene Smart's renaissance because, like, she has never disappeared yeah, in the right? years. Like, I, yeah, right? Like, I don't think she's done anything even close to, like, mediocre in a really, really long time. So, as far as yeah. I can remember, anyway, yeah, Gene Smart completely steals the show. I do think that uh, Hannah, I, I'm. Uh, Einbinder? Einbinder? Yeah. yeah, Einbinder does a fantastic job just kind of like balancing that out on screen because mm -hmm. Smart has such an amazing screen presence, right? Like it's so easy for her to kind of like dominate every scene that she's in uh, and the in the moments where um, both both Ava and Deborah are, are kind of like on screen together feel a bit more balanced as opposed to some of the other characters. Again, it is of course playing into, the writing does play into the fact that you know, Deborah Vance is a much larger than life character um, mm -hmm. than than the people around her. Um, but still, that's something extremely palpable, I have to say. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed Hex, right? Like, I, I, I like the the way that the comedy is solid, right? Uh, in realistic ways, but so is the struggle and so is the pain uh, mm. that comes along with, you know, just like trying as with any kind of like artistic field, trying to channel your pain and all your trauma and all your experiences into your craft. Um, yep. You know, and like tack on top of that, this whole like industry and all the nonsense that goes on in there and like it, it really sets up for a very complex um Mm -hmm. complex environment where we find two people find I don't know if friendship is necessarily the right word it's, Com it's camaraderie yeah camaraderie and, yeah. and sometimes like even close to kinship right uh, yeah you know a lot of the time like it feels like Deborah treats Ava better more like a daughter than she does her own daughter yeah uh, and and that um, that negotiation between the two of them is hard fought and hard won. Um, mm. You know, where they finally come to, well, kind of finally, come to a place of understanding each other a little better. And every time that happens, 
you know, uh, that relationship is again kind of put through the ringer and that feeds into, you know, the, the comedy routine and, and so on and so forth, uh, yep. which is a, a formula that I don't dislike, you know, like mm. I thought that, okay, you know, if they, they did it a number of times, especially in the first half of the season, it's like, okay, so this is how it's kind of going to go. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think they played it to great effect, uh, for yeah. sure. Yep. Yes. Yep. Some of the situations are just like really like incredible, <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> stuff, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think making a making a comedy or making a show about comedy, not necessarily a comedy, like yeah. making a show about comedy, is and the art of comedy is very very hard. Like mm. um, I've seen a lot of shows like uh, Aaron Sorkin's Studio Sixty fail, yeah. fail and fail miserably because I think. Watching comedians develop a joke uh, is rarely as rewarding as enjoying the joke as the audience, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like conversations about writing the best joke, the best catch, the best stand-up routine, they have to be more than a heated back and forth between collaborators. They that in itself has to be funny, you know. Yeah. Like the process has to be funny as well, and and convincing the audience that a joke is quote unquote good relies on them laughing at it. And believing it's better than the bad joke that came before. Yeah. So, in other words, you really do have to know your stuff, la. Like you, know, <laughs> you do have to know the process of comedy. Uh, and on top of all of that, you know, hex is also about a generational divide. You know. Yeah. Um. It's it's co leads come from completely different schools of comedy, largely defined by their res- what their respective eras find funny. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. I think recent TV comedies have been quick to treat. Uh, millennials like punching backs, not just by talking down to them, but by offering, you know, no chance to fight back, which makes for a bit of one-sided commentary. Yeah. Uh, and but Hex doesn't do that, you know. If if Hex uh like slips on any of the steep challenges uh, set by its, uh, it doesn't steep, uh, it doesn't slip on any of the steep challenges. Is what I'm trying to say. Like mm-hmm. like Eva is played very well as is Debra, and both have their nuances and and their quirks and their strengths and their foibles. Um, I think Deborah Vance kind of represents the classic stand-up comic, right? Like yeah. all flint and flash and old late-night stories and insane work ethic and addiction to performing. Then Ava is almost like, uh, at first, you know, seems like a cliche of a millennial talent. Mm-hmm. Discovered mm-hmm. on the internet, dropped out of school immediately to get staffed on a comedy show. Yeah. Uh, however, her heat has petered out thanks to uh, an off-color joke about a closeted senator that has gotten her cancelled on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so Ava is, you know, basically cancelled from the tiny world of the Los Angeles com- comedy community. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the show so definitely illustrates, um, Ava lacks the social graces or work ethic that marks the most beloved comics in the scene, especially from the past. Yeah. Like, she is kind of a, of a lazy asshole, but she has a point of view that Deborah doesn't, you mm. know, uh, to, to update her acts. Uh, and, and, you know, like watching Eva and Deborah immediately lock horns and trade barbs. <laughs> and, and, and here is where Hex really uh, shows that it gets how comics stick. Like, you know, um, roast jokes, you know, like yeah, insulting each other on the road. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a way to mutual respect in the comedy world, I think. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you can't roll at a joke at your expense, you have, you know, no right cracking them on stage. And, you know, with each insult hold at each other, Deborah and Vance begin to build a strange form of mutual respect uh, or camaraderie, as I mentioned. And as time goes on, Deborah is able to impress upon Ava the importance of resilience, while Ava is able to give the older comic a new perspective, mm-hmm. not just on what the new generation finds funny, but mm-hmm. a new perspective on Deborah's own life that she that she may not have, you know, because I think women, especially 
coming up in the industry in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s may not have um, this idea of themselves that um, a millennial or a Gen Z woman may have. Yeah. Um, Deborah's life story, though, I think it's it's one of the most compelling parts of Hex. Like, she's this former sitcom star. She's a road comic, uh, almost the first female late night host. And Deborah broke boundaries while still being held back by, um, you know, sy- um, systemic sexism. And mm-hmm. I think, in fact, her whole perspective on life seems to be defined by what a uh, what by what the sexist world has cast her as, and she still keeps slinging scathing punchlines and fighting back with her wits. And mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a great masterful portrait, both in terms of the writing and the acting, of a woman doing her all in in a in a profession that has that has strived to keep people like her down. And it's a fantastic showcase for Jean Smart herself. Yeah. Um, what do you think about? Uh, Deborah and Eva and their relationship. Let's start with like what do you think about like the individual characters first uh, before we, we delve into uh, how think, they, how they mesh. Yeah, I, I think you definitely like covered the main part of it. I had a bit of difficulty um, coming to like Eva's character, especially for like maybe the first third of mm-hmm. the way there. I think it's only really when she and 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 uh, Deborah kind of like start trading barbs right at their kind of like first meeting and insults are being thrown around mm-hmm. uh, and all of that that she it really feels like she has you know some kind of gumption right like it's so easy to write her off before that point uh, in the film itself uh, it is definitely a lot more um, she's a lot more complex than a caricature of a millennial necessarily uh, as we we'll, as we find out later on, as we find yeah. out later on, I think like one of the moments that kind of really struck me is when, um, I think she's already working for Deborah and she bumps into some old friends like her age, uh, in Vegas, yeah, yeah, in Vegas, and then like there's a confrontation about that, uh, about you know, um, you know, kind of like locking her out, uh, and the whole like need for her reflection when he said, yeah, you were an asshole before you got cancelled, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we locked you out, and. Um, and that moment of kind of like realization for her and yep. the subsequent steps, I think it took her to process that as well as kind of work through that. I, I think like definitely deepened who I felt she was at a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, whereas Deborah, on the other hand, right, like full of life experiences, done so much, seen so much, you know, um, amazing kind of like stories to tell. But there is this resignation and cynicism that is there that plays off very interestingly with a very different type of I don't know millennial existentialism that comes from Ava right yep, like yep. and it, it so it's not a case of where like you know uh, a cynic meets a hopeful uh, which you would expect in kind of like um, stories like this right it's kind of like two very different approaches to life and viewing life and a lot of that is actually very based on the circumstances in which each woman lives their life, right? Both of them yeah. are affected to, you know, kind of like the general everyday sexism um, well, of the world and in particular of the comedy industry. Uh, mm. and, but the, the, where they find themselves, right, with Deborah's kind of like success, I guess, quote and unquote, um, in the many things that she does despite the sexism and... Uh, Ava's just general disdain at you know the fact that you know it is it is we live in this this day and age and it's still an issue mm. uh, plays off in a very kind of interesting way it would have been a lot easier to have like oh, a bright 
I bushy-tail kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, I look on the bright side of life kind of thing to play off that. Uh, this makes it for a far more nuanced kind of um, uh, interrogation, I guess, of like where these two women find um, kinship and camaraderie and common ground despite their differences. Uh, mm. That is where kind of the magic happens. Like all the really amazing material comes from those disagreements that they have, right? Mm. Uh, that they eventually kind of channel um, into, you know, some some fantastic comedy material. Uh, yeah. That's very, very poignant. Definitely. Uh, 100% agree with all that. I mean, I guess to conclude my thoughts, like, I mean, can't say enough about how good Jean Smart is. Yeah. Uh, oh, here, she, you know, she brings real complex pathos to Deborah's off-stage persona, you know, mm-hmm. her real-life persona, yeah. while also effortlessly pulling off the character's comic genius. Um, it's one of those roles that, you know, Jean Smart seems to be made for. Um, Einbinder has a very unenviable task of, oh, selling, yeah. of selling an unlikable character to oh, the audience, yeah. um, all while kind of sticking to the truth of Ava's selfishness. You know, if mm-hmm. Ava wasn't such an asshole, like, I, I wouldn't buy her desperate quandary. Uh, and if Einbinder wasn't so fabulous in the part, I wouldn't care about her either. Yeah. And I think, like, Hex pulls off a, a true tightrope act. Mm-hmm. It's a celebration of the mean underbelly of comedy mm-hmm. uh, that is still empathetic to the heartache of pushing most comics to the mic. It's this spectacular showcase for its leading ladies and above all, like I said, like a, a real love letter to life in the comedy trenches. Uh, your final thoughts on Hex before we move on? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm just going to say it now. Like f- The four shows that we're covering here would have easily broken into my top five, right? But mm. since we're discussing them anyway... Um, mm. I I don't want to kind of like do a repeat, you know. Uh, but hacks is definitely out there. Easy top five, easy top ten, um, yeah. for sure. Like it's such a, it's a compelling watch. Uh, you know, not easy, not breezy, uh, fun in moments, poignant in others. Like it was very very enjoyable. Um, in the f- kind of fullest sense of the word, uh, just to see like these two these two women and their stories. Definitely, man. Uh, also, shout out to um, Geek. Uh, I, I forgot the actor's name. Deke from Agents of Shield, who has, like, <laughs> a, who, has who has a great one episode arc here. Yeah. Uh, and actually, one of my favorite episodes of of uh, Hex. Uh, so shout out to Deke. I'm glad you're still finding work post Agents of Shield. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> next up, let's move on to uh, Girls Five Ever. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Girls Five Ever. I think like might be the pound for pound funniest show. I wouldn't say best show. Yeah, but funniest show with like most jokes packed in per oh, yeah. mi- per millisecond. Yeah, it will be Girls Five Ever. It's produced by the team behind Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Thirty mm-hmm. Rock. Mm-hmm. It's an utterly hilarious series, uh, probably the best sitcom of twenty twenty one. And Girls Five Ever follows the surviving member of a C list, not A, not B, C list late nineties girl group who reunite in their mid forties to mount a comeback. <laughs> Um, that's because uh, a mumble rapper uh, happens to sample yeah. one of their hit songs from back in the day, <laughs> and they take this uh, as a sign that you know that they can do a revival of sorts. So they, they start planning for a comeback concert. Um, this show is a laugh frenzy, like picked packed to the brim with absurdist pop song parodies, yeah. uh, delirious dialogue, and like very densely constructed jokes that 
marked the music industry, um, early millennial trends, especially from the early ni- the late 90s and early 2000s, yeah. um, celebrity culture from every angle imaginable, uh, and it's elevated by a really winsome cast that includes um, real musicians and real musical uh, talents like Sarah Bareilles, mm-hmm. uh, Rene Ellis Goldsbury, who you may know from uh, Hamilton, yep. uh, alongside Paula Pell and Musee Phillips, who who deliver the comedy chops. I think Ghost Wife Ever is a pure musical comedy joy. Uh, how did you enjoy Ghost Wife Ever? Oh man, so good, so funny. First of all, I love, love, love Sarah Bareilles. Right, been a big fan of her music for a very long time. Yeah, uh, and of course, like any any more Angelica Schroeder is always good, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I I uh, I mean, like growing up in the nineties, right, in the heyday of the boy bands and the girl bands and things like that. Like, it's very difficult not to like Ghost Five Ever, right? Like everything that you can remember to laugh about that, you know, kind of like snapshot of time, right, is mm-hmm. present here. Uh, and then it gets very real with the fact that, you know, we, are, we aren't, you know, that age anymore. We aren't, like, listening to music like that anymore. But in many people's memories, like, it is an incredible nostalgia trip back to that. And the fact that they can address that so tongue-in-cheek while at the same time uh, kind of, like, digging deeper at, you know, the idea of, like, mischances and, and you know, um, just putting yourself kind of out on a limb again like even as you get older in the entertainment industry which is a hard thing to do uh, mm. just makes for a very fascinating watch I think um, you're absolutely right Ghost 5 Ever is one of those shows right that I constantly need to rewind because I know I've missed something good like I catch it at the like the just the corner of my consciousness um, mm. you know, if I'm not paying that attention for a moment and all of that, I know there's a joke in there. I kind of caught it. I need to know what it is. And I find myself constantly kind of like scrubbing back to make sure I, I, I caught it all the way. It yeah. is very comedically dense in that way. Mm. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, like I think the one with the most rewatchability for me would be Ghost Five Ever. Just because yeah. I think like there's plenty more to enjoy on subsequent watches. Uh, mm-hmm. with like all the things that are kind of going on at the same time, you know. But even if you aren't necessarily used to the this kind of comedy with shows like uh Dirty Rock and uh Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt and all of that, right? Like just on a very surface level, don't want to think about stuff, just sit down and kind of like laugh out loud, like Ghost Five Ever works perfectly for that. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think um, you know, like the the girl band or boy band craze of the late nineties, it's hard to explain to people who went there. Yeah, for sure. But if you want, if you want to get like an absurd kind of snapshot of it, like Girls Wife Ever is is that. You yeah. Know, uh, and it's hard to. I mean, it, it it is an absurd show, but there's a lot of truth to their oh, critique yeah. of that era as well. Absolutely. And and I think like nearly every element of the show is either funny or sweet or quite fresh. Um, it's it's just like this great um, commentary on the girl group craze of the millennium, and a, alongside a plot that you know that is about a fun, <laughs> that's about a fun musical, and it's about the way a band can transition into being fully dimensional women. I think the four current members of the group, you yeah. know, uh, there's a hint, there's, <laughs> there's an explanation for why the the band's name isn't current, uh, yeah. but I'm not going to spoil it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all going through different struggles, but they immediately, you know, see this chance to reunite as a way to fix everything. 
um, for Dawn, you know, she finds a purpose outside of being a mother and yeah. working in her brother's Italian restaurant. Um, Summer, played by Busy Phillips, is this kind of breezy, um, Britney Spears-esque <laughs> member of the group. Um, uh, and 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 Gloria Paula Pell, uh, who has recently lost her wife, um, is. Uh, hmm. I I kind of don't want to spoil why no, 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 she's no. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it gets really good. We promise you that, that yeah, Gloria but, gets re- Gloria's art gets really good. But even her introduction is very funny. Oh uh, you know. Um, and and of course, like Wiki, like just desperately wants the attention that that fame brought her. Yeah. Um, the most perfect element of Girls Five ever isn't the writing, which is really great. It's the cast, you mm-hmm. know, because. Mm-hmm. Nobody feels out of place. I think Borealis obviously has proven her singer-songwriting prowess chops. You know, she's a Grammy winner, yep. uh, multiple-time nominee. She wrote the music and lyrics for the Broadway hit Waitress, so we know what she can do. And the mm-hmm. series gives her a chance to be uh, funny as the Tina Fey of the group, the straight woman. Yeah. Uh, and, and Tina Fey also makes a guest appearance, <laughs> I won't spoil also. Um, and, and during the group's success, like Dawn dreamed of, you know, writing original songs. So mm-hmm. when the group reunites, you know, but it's unable to perform their own music because of yeah. copyright issues, it's it's up to them to to write a hit that is relatable. But um, that in itself is, is a really funny subplot also. Oh, yeah. Um, the songs assembled for the series feels like stuff you definitely hear on the radio oh, yeah. mm. and that you eagerly want to grab on Spotify. I think the various Girls 5 Ever songs are cringeworthy. Oh, yeah. um, they are reminiscent of what of when we all learn the lyrics of like, you know, like, you know, um, you know all those old songs like Semi Chum Kind of Life and stuff like that. And when you actually read the lyrics, it's like, ugh, what is this? You know? mm-hmm. I, I um, think it, it, they push it even more cringe. Than that, yeah, right. Like it's just a touch more cringe than that, just so that the music really gets you. You kind of like bopping along to it, and then your mind's like, "What the hell are you listening to? Come on!" Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is amazing, like just how well curated the 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 songs are, and how well yeah. they are written to elicit a very specific emotion, and then mm-hmm. a sudden interjection of another emotion on top of that. Um. Dream Girlfriend has to be one of the funniest songs <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, there's like obvious dicks about, you know, how female comics are unfunny uh, and that they're damaged because their dads are dead. Uh, but don't worry, they have a cool uncle with a boat. Yeah. Um, New York Lonely Boy is another great acoustic indie song that is just one of the show's most fantastic. I think you haven't gotten to New York Lonely Boy yet, but it's really great. Um, yeah, and I think Borellis is a really solid street woman for the series, especially mm-hmm. because she's surrounded by so many big personalities who could oh, yeah. easily overshadow her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldsberry is a surprising comic genius as like the diva of the group and she has yeah. a remarkable way of taking a turn of phrase and creating a, a side-spitting joke about it, you know. Um, she's a great physical comedian and, and it's it's really evidence in many scenes here. Like, she's a great comedian which I didn't know because I knew that she was a great singer mm-hmm. and she was a great dramatic actress. I didn't know that she was a great comedian. Yeah. Uh, Pe- Pell and Phillips are wonderful as Gloria and Summer. I think Pell's Gloria opens up <laughs> uh, very well in the show um, and these are the two kind of low-key characters that you don't expect to steal the show in in, in you know certain bit parts but they do uh, I love their bond I love the comedy I even love the stupid side gags that they have that oh, all, yeah. ha- have you gotten to the part about the invisible piano? yes yeah, yeah that, that's that's what, that's one of the, like, the funniest things I've ever seen the fucking invisible piano they just like... can't <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 Let, yeah, I, we, we won't go into spoiler territory for that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I also just shout out the fucking like title screen mm. that looks exactly like now this is music 
you know, whatever, 5, 12, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Oh my god, I fucking love that like word art-esque thing. Like the first time I saw it, I, I laughed out loud just because it's so apt. Yeah. Uh, um, if you grew up in, in the era of MTV, TRL, um, stuff like that, you know, you're going to be laughing at every minute of this show. Oh um, any final thoughts on Girls Wife Ever? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think the MTV kind of like snippets with the cribs and the TRL is like ridiculously funny. I don't mm-hmm. know how we used to watch that stuff, but I used to watch MTV cribs like religiously as and when it came on. <laughs> I I don't. Know. I used I used to watch it um every Saturday I think. Yeah, I I was it Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Like I would religiously watch that, like you know, and we would talk to friends about that. It's insane to kind of like be reminded of that period of time in our lives through a show like this. Yeah. Uh, and you know all the absurdity that it contained, and being able to laugh along like that is really extremely enjoyable, and mm-hmm. part of the big a big part of the charm of Ghost Five Ever for sure. Yes. Uh, my final thought is, hmm, how do I sum this up? Um, we are going to be famous five ever, cause forever is too short. That's my final thought. Uh, let's move <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah. If we were uh, doing this live, we would have to do like the hand actions as well. But uh, unfortunately, oh, that's right. Video, I should... video evidence for that. I th- I think I can remember from doing it because this is one of those like opening credits that I never skip. I yep. always watch it. Yep. Same here. It's, yeah. It's uh, that's great. Um, let's move on to uh, what is next? Oh, we are Lady Parts, you know. Yeah. Um, this is a British show, unlike the rest, which are American shows. Uh, although it's airing on Peacock as well, so you know, um, you can get it there if you're in America, or else you can find it on um Channel Four, I believe, in uh in the UK. So yeah, I mean, one of my favorite shows of the year. Mm. Uh, this is a this is a. I wouldn't call it a dramedy, but it's. I think it's just a straight up comedy, Yeah. Um, it, we are Lady Parts follows an all female Muslim punk band in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an extremely funny and, and quite delightful coming of age story. Uh, as I said, it's a British comedy by Nida Masnoor, yeah. uh, who it comprises only of six half hour episodes, so it's very breezy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it manages to pack a punch with its authenticity. Uh, it's authentically drawn characters, the fast-paced storytelling, and the comedy writing, which is very good, that draws upon the melting pot of the British Muslim experience. You know? yep. um, Arjana Vasan, who stars as a PhD student, turned the band's reluctant new member as a particular delight. You know, it has this innate, she has this innate understanding of how to get laughs just from you know, small changes of expression and intonation and posture. Uh, and overall, I think like this show about a Muslim all-girl punk band in London has to be the most surprising show of the year because it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I never expected it to be like one of the one of the best shows of the year. Um what about you? What what do you think about We Are Lady Parts, this extremely funny showcase for oh, a Muslim man. punk I, Muslim I mean, punk it's band? It's such yeah. a incredibly like it's so short and so concise. Uh yep. and it's such a fun watch. Like the songs are hilariously funny. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I went to look for... What's his name? Bashir with the good beard. Just yeah. because it's an amazingly funny song. Uh, and, and just like, it's a very kind of feel-good... I'm not re- not necessarily coming of age story, right? Like, But coming into like greater adulthood, you know, mm. a sense of identity within, um, you know, and the ideas of like subculture and, and the diverse kind of cultures within like the larger... 
pop culture and all of that. Like it's a super interesting kind of look into that, you know. And we are, I may be familiar with some of you know like playing in garages and stuff like that, right? And having uh, a band that no one is necessarily going to listen to and all of that. Um, like we are lady parts. It's a very specific look at a very specific group of people and their cultures all in kind of like a very small melting pot. Uh, mm-hmm. But that makes it universally funny, the situations that they find themselves in. Uh, yeah. And like, it's it's really, really good. I think the pacing is pretty phenomenal. Like there isn't any kind of like gap or any kind of downtime just because like the runtime is so short. Uh, there's no time for them to kind of do that. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's... Um, the music is funny. I, I think the, the characters are funny and you get fairly invested, I think, after like the first two episodes as to like what exactly is like kind of going to go on. Um, a lot of it is laugh out loud, uh, but it does have its more quiet, tender moments where, you know, where there's a realization or they're helping each other out just kind of work through some of the troubles they're having in their life. Like, a lot of it is very quick, very snappy, and is resolved in like satis- emotionally satisfactory ways without, you know, like it's played for comedy a lot of the time, but it, it always feels good at the end. Um, yeah, definitely, I think probably the most feel good of the lot, um, mm-hmm. just in terms of like the. The, the, the collection of, of very unique things that they're trying to portray here. Indeed, yeah. You know, like in addition to just being absolutely funny, it's this is a really funny show and very breezy. Like I said, six half hour episodes. Yep. Uh you can get through this like quicker than Tenet. Most yeah, than Tenet, for example, you know. Uh but in addition to being funny and breezy, like it's also like this show about uh Muslim women trying to be heard specifically in a genre that hasn't traditionally had room for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not regularly featured on the playlist of their friends or family. Uh, like, this what they're doing. Punk music is not what anyone expects of them. Yeah. Um, especially our main character, like the, <laughs> the, the, the shy Amina, right? Yeah. She initially vomits from stage fright whenever she tries performing in public. Um, and, and her goals before meeting the band are to get her microbiology PhD and mm-hmm. settle down with her husband very quickly, uh, like she believes every m- good Muslim girl should do. Um, so every space she enters feels like she's our proxy into the world, right? And yeah. like every space that she enters feels hostile, you know, whether it's um, Syrah like confidently marching in or Amina being dragged along by, while looking confused and frightened how she got there. And it happens <laughs> a lot. Um, the show's creator and director, Nida uh, Manzor, is like acutely aware of both the clashes within and without the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady Parts are a real melting pot of the British Muslim experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Saira wearing her short sleeves to show off her tattoos or and work, working in a halal butcher shop. Um, Momtas, you know, keeping her face largely covered yeah. uh, in, in a burqa while selling sexy lingerie for her day job. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and and Amina is the most traditional of them all, you know. Like she's a good student, she's a good Muslim. Uh, but the most interesting part about Amina's story that I I personally loved is that they flip the Muslim parents trope on its head. Uh, in this case, it's Amina who's the one who is like very like good Muslim girl, and her parents are the ones who are <laughs> are the ones who are asking her to be like a bit more open minded, a bit yeah. more liberal, a bit to enjoy herself. You know, you don't have to get married so quickly. 
that's interesting. Like it's it's a it's a real nice flip on the Muslim parent dynamic. Yeah, like the first the first kind of like arranged wedding um meeting thing, the mm-hmm. matchmaking session. So funny, yeah. good God! Like that is I I would if I were her I would have crawled under the couch to hide. That's how embarrassing yeah. it was. Uh yeah, but very very good. I I do enjoy the inversion for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very delightful. I think it's very authentic, and I think uh the show writer uh, Manzor has said that it, this is somewhat autobiographical because mm-hmm. um the showrunner herself was in uh, a Muslim orgo punk band in in her in her teens, and she actually wrote all the brash energetic songs with her with her siblings. Uh, so that's cool. Like, and it also like you know it brings that sincere amount of realism to the show, which avoids portraying its women in stereotypical or familiar ways that usually cater to a primarily white audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's not only thanks to accurate casting and representation, but also thanks to the representation behind the camera as well. It's written, performed, uh, you know, it's for us, by us, like, you know, as we say, like, like for Muslims, you know, there are, yeah. I think that there are too few examples of uh, Muslim women creators getting the mainstream space to develop such a singular vision such as this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would love to see more of this, like, like much in the way that like I enjoyed Rami. Um, what about you? You know, like any any like more overall thoughts about We Are Lady Parts before we move on to our best of the year? Oh man, uh, I I want to see more. I I I as much as it's a breezy watch, like I felt like it was a tad too short. Uh, for mm. me, right, like the six episodes, like you blink before you know it is kind of done. You've enjoyed yourself tremendously, and then you're just like, I what happens next, like. I want to like see where where these women end up. I want to see what other kind of like ridiculous songs they kind of write, you know. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm hoping. I I don't know if we'll ever get another season, but I'm hoping for one for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my final thoughts is if you want to know what kind of show this is and how hilarious the songs are, um, I saw already mentioned um, Basho uh, Basho with a good beard. Basho with a good beard. Uh, my personal favorite. Uh, ain't no one gonna honor kill my sister, oh, but yeah. me. <laughs> um, it's really funny. Uh, Voldemort in my head scarf is also really good. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really endearing and entertaining as a half hour sitcom, but I think solidifies also the need for nuanced stakes on representation and mm-hmm. how yeah. if, how it affects the audience's mindset. Like, I yeah. think you know even within the show, all five lady parts members recognize the pivotal stand that they're taking by putting their creative work on the internet despite the possible backlash which they do get yeah. uh, you know like the band and by default those working on the sitcom mm-hmm. offer younger Muslim women the type of artistic in- inspiration that probably they never had growing up in western countries uh, yeah and those were the best four new shows of the year uh, let's kick it off with uh, our final topic which is the 10 best shows of the year were split up evenly. Yep, yep. Five for Isa, five for me. Uh, let's go down the list from five to one. Uh, let's begin with you, Isa. What's your number five overall show of the year? Uh, my number five overall show. Okay, so first of all, disclaimer, right? Like, I would have added easily any of the four shows to my top five. It would have been a tough fight. Um, mm. For at least, I, I think, like, there are three places they could have pro- 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 probably taken up. Uh, but for number five, I'm going to go with Arcane. Hmm. Arcane, which is currently, I feel, the gold standard for uh, video game adaptation animation. Mm. Uh, just in terms of like the technical brilliance that they have brought. Like the story and the world could be far more interesting. The world building is fantastic, could be better. The story itself and like kind of characters definitely could be better. It's far from being perfect. 
but like it's been oh man it's been like a month or six weeks since i finished arcane and it's still on my mind right like just the entire kind of like world that they kind of inhabit the aesthetic of that you know like, uh and and the sound design and all, how everything kind of falls together i think mm-hmm. that we have been celebrating things like castlevania and dota and yep. you know, the witcher series all of which feel like they're cut from the same cloth and mm. are very, very good pieces of medium by itself. But I think yes. Arcane pushes the bar up one step higher and mm-hmm. is announcing that, like, look, if you want to compete in this space, right, which is incredibly popular because it's based on a, on a game, right, uh, franchises like this, uh, you need to step it up in terms of, like, the wow factor that you can bring uh, in, in terms of, you know, the aesthetics of, of things. So, not a big fan of uh, cell shading. We've talked about that to no end, but like it's been on my mind. And most of the shows here have been like things that basically I, I at the end of the year, I still can't forget about. Yes, definitely, man. Uh, my number five, uh, this won't be a surprise to many of you if you're oh, yeah. a regular listener of Behold. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier this year, was it this year or late last year? Um, late hmm. last year, we did season one. Yes. Yes, late last year, we did an episode of Behold about some of the best teen shows currently out right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh one of our picks was in my skin um and i do have to say though like i think behold right has like kind of subconsciously like put forth a lot of <laughs> things into the ether that has materialized because you know while we were talking about in my skin season one we were yep. wondering when season two was coming out yeah i mean lo and behold like this year season two comes out yes the week off our episode about Party Down, they announced a reboot oh, of Party Down. Really? You know, like the, not the week or the day. The like day the off? day that the day I posted it, like they announced like the reboot was coming. And I was like, God damn, we were just talking about like the reboot of Party Down. So like yeah. here's speaking it to the ether. Lah, but my number five pick is the season two of In My Skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know what it is, it is a dark coming of age dramedy that kind of lays bare the bleak realities of one teen's troubled life in Wales. Uh, in My Skin follows a 16-year-old girl named Bethan who tries to hide the truth about her mother's bipolar disorder, her father's alcoholism, and her chaotic home life from her friends mm-hmm. by pretending to be a spoiled rich girl. Um, it draws heavily from the creator's own experiences growing up, you know, um, Katie Llewellyn. Uh, so the series may be bleak, bleak, but it's also filled with tenderness and caustic wit and authenticity. Um, and you know, and part of the authenticity is its tone, its vivid grittiness of the Cardiff setting. And this second season remains a brutally relatable show that cuts deep. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the second season is the climax of the show, so this is the second and final season as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? What's your number four? Uh, my number four, I'm going with Marvel's What If. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a toss-up for me between choosing One Division and What If. Uh, yep. at the end of the day, because I think like. Um, you know, we talk about MCU stuff a lot. Like, it's always the stuff that we cover when it when it comes around in for genre equality. Uh, and sure, it's m- hugely successful, massive franchise and all of that. Uh, and I really have... Um, I really appreciate what they've been trying to do with the TV series by and large. Right? Some hits, some misses. Like, Loki was good at the end. Uh, mm. Winter Soldier and Falcon could have been better kind of overall as a movie, I think. Um, currently watching Hawkeye, it's it's okay. It's a fun it's a fun ride, uh, but a kind of like handing over succession story for future things again. Yet another setup show, 
and WandaVision was like the first kind of like risk taking that that Marvel TV was taking. I think the combination of that in what if is that it is the first piece of the franchise that has really dared to shake things up. Um definitely it is very convenient for it to be coming out at this time given that Multiverse of Madness is coming out, No Way Home mm-hmm. is coming out, and we are going in that particular direction. Uh, but at the same time, like it's very it is unusual for the MCU that we know to have like anti-heroes like the, our Octona, uh, our Dark Doctor Strange, for example, right? And and kind of like looking into that whole thing. At the end of the day, many superhero movies, you're not going to get the opportunity where the bad guys win. Uh, but we yep. get a lot of that in What If and that is refreshing to say the least. Um, a lot of people who are hardcore comic book fans would not be surprised by the stories that are contained within. Um, many of them are adaptations of other what-if stories that have already existed in comic book canon. But I appreciate the fact that they have opened it up so that these can exist alongside whatever is going to come in uh, Multiverse of Madness. Uh, Mm. I don't think it was necessarily a risk per se, but certainly the most risky thing I feel that Marvel has done. Because um, mm. it's it's very easy for people to kind of write it off and like you know it's not important doesn't affect the main storyline it's one of those things that I don't have to watch right if I'm just following the movies themselves but at the same time having this letting people believe that it's sort of this episodic one shot thing for each episode tying that all together at the end spoiler alert um uh yeah I I just think that it's the most refreshing thing that Marvel has done this year. For sure. Mm. Mm. Yep. Uh, my number four is another show that we've covered in before. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is season two of Dave. Uh, if you don't know what Dave is, Dave is a fantastic dramedy, uh, depicting a loosely fictionalized version of the of the life of the rapper Leo Dickey. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, while the series kind of began as a vehicle for admittedly really funny toilet humor, um, its first season grew to become you know this smart and sensitive meta-deconstruction of the narcissism and delusions of an awkward Jewish man-child who thinks he's the greatest rapper alive. Yeah. Uh, now in season two, even better, uh, the best season of Dave so far, Dave picks up with Little Dickie's hip-hop career on the ascent, but his newfound sa- uh, success has only worsened his neuroses mm-hmm. and his anxieties mm-hmm. and his selfishness uh, and it continues to alienate his loved ones in untenable ways. Uh, and we explored that in some very painful yet admittedly funny episodes this season. Uh, what is your number three? My number three is my horror pick for this year TV show-wise. And it mm. is Midnight Mass. Yeah. Uh, which is my Mike Flanagan pick for the year. Uh, yep. Basically, loved Midnight Mass. Um, terrifying. Uh, hair, hair, hair raising. Mm. Uh, fascinating story, good twist, great visuals, solid soundtrack. Like very little to kind of complain about. Like Flanagan, consistently like does good work. It's very hard to pick on the stuff that he does, right? And again, all round, kind of, uh, like a solid portfolio that he has right now. I will say that I was very tempted to swap out Midnight Mass for Hellbound. Mm. Uh, they are very similar shows. They are very similar shows. I do think like Hellbound is a bit more, not terrifying necessarily, but the whole idea that hell is other people, that's hellbound, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that encapsulates it the best. 
Um, but I, I chose not to just because like there is definitely recency bias. I think this is what Hellbound is one of the shows that I watched most recently. Mm. And I didn't want to fall to that necessarily. So Hellbound goes in my honorable mentions uh, for horror for this year, TV shows wise. And Midnight Mass is my horror pick of the year. All right. Uh, okay. My number three is season two of For All Mankind, mm. which I have uh, also briefly reviewed on Journal Equality. Yeah. Uh, this came out way back in January. Yep. So no accusations of uh, recency bias here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, for a show to stick in you know, your top five yep. for, from January it's quite to dumb. December, mm-hmm. it's quite something. Oh, yeah. Like it, In a way, this is almost a de facto number one because none of the other shows can say the same thing. Who knows where, what, I, what I would think of number one and two like four <laughs> months or five months from now. You know? yeah. Let alone 12 months from now. But yeah. this has stuck the landing for me. It, 12 months, it's been in my top five. Um, if you don't know what uh, For All Mankind is, it is a sci-fi show from Ronald D. Moore. It is a meticulously crafted art history that imagines what mm-hmm. would happen if it was the Soviets who landed the first man on the moon. Um, the first season of For All Mankind was kind of wildly ambitious, but also very uneven. Thankfully, this second season is such a stellar improvement. It takes full advantage of its what-if scenarios, um, you know, to, to draw it back to you. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the US social politics have drastically drifted uh, alongside the complex and compelling workplace drama at NASA. Uh, the characters now feel more specific and three-dimensional, which in turn makes the show's interpersonal dynamics vastly more interesting this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to top it all off, the final four or five episodes, like if I were to make a list of the five best episodes of 2021, I think all five would be the last five episodes of All Mankind Season 2. That's how good the last five episodes are. It's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Yes, yes. I have uh, not gotten to it yet. It is on my to-watch list after we get all the things that I need to watch. Uh, it's on Apple TV Plus, by the way, if you guys want to go watch it. Uh, mm. What is your number two? Right, I'm at number two now, right? Yes, we are at number two yeah. now. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. My top two picks are both anime. Mm. Uh, number two is To Your Eternity. Yay. Which recently concluded uh, its 20th episode. So the full season is out. Man, what a journey, right? Like I was hyping and shouting about this um, when it came out. Uh, and first like three episodes in, I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Um, people who enjoy kind of like your slower paced, deeply human storytelling, right? Um, for fans of Musishi and stuff of like that, like To Your Eternity. The 20 episodes have not disappointed. It's a bit of a scenic route, I have to say, uh, all around. But yeah, like that's 20 episodes worth of time well invested, in my opinion. Uh, it continues to deliver episode after episode, continues to surprise and delight and, and sadden. Um, you know, it has kind of like everything that you would look for um, in a anime of its kind. Uh, and yeah, like I- I'm so glad we got like 20 episodes because I think it definitely needed that. Um, no announcement yet as to whether there'll be a season two, but yeah, one of my top picks for sure. And this is something that has kind of like lasted. Well, that's because it only ended recently, but you know, it's lasted since Feb and March. Yes. Uh, my number two is season two of Sucks. Su- uh, not season two, sorry. Season three. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, my number two is season three of Succession. Um, when we last left the Roy family in season two, uh, yeah. if you do watch the show, 
uh, the prodigal son Kendall dropped a bombshell by publicly outing their cruel patriarch Logan of being complicit in their company's pattern of heinous corporate sexual and human rights crimes. So the father-son confrontation sparks an all-out business civil war yep. in Succession's brilliant third season. It's built around a series of thrilling cl- clashes as everyone involved from the siblings to the parents to the corporate shareholders scramble to take sides and work out what's best for them in a constantly shifting corporate landscape. The series about monstrous rich people backstabbing each other for control over a multi-billion dollar media empire. Mm-hmm. It remains delightfully intense and darkly funny. As many people have pointed out, Succession is actually low-key a comedy, and I do think it is. <laughs> uh, but it's also an intense drama as well. Uh, so yeah, Succession Season 2 uh, was actually my number one up until a few days ago. I had oh. to do a last-minute change because of my number one. Yeah. Uh, what was your number one? My number one, undisputedly, this year is Odd Taxi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know we've gone on and on about this. I think like we, sp- we speak about it every opportunity that it kind of comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Odd Taxi, to me, at this point in time, at the end of the year, a good like 9-10 months since it aired and since I've watched it, in my mind, stands out as an instant anime classic. Right, and I yep. don't think I say that often, if not ever, um, said that on air. So yeah, like it has so many good things about it. I don't want to, you know, continue to kind of hit the nail on the um, hammer you guys with it again and again. But Up Taxi mm-hmm. still undisputed number one for the year, um, and also because like I watch more anime than anything else, really. So you know. Uh, my top five picks definitely skew more in that direction than Hit Say Stars. Definitely, you know. Uh, my number one, also another show that we've covered in Behold <laughs> before. Yes. Um, the second half of season two of Pan 15. So, not technically a season three, but yeah. the second half of season two, which was sadly cut in half because of the COVID-19 pandemic last year. So, they stopped filming at episode seven, and this is episodes eight to 14. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know what Pen15 is, it's created by and starring Maya Erskine and Anna Conkel, who yep. are 31-year-old actresses who play 13-year-old actri- uh, versions of themselves <laughs> um, amidst a cast of actual 13-year-olds. Yep. Um, Pen15 is the most uncomfortably hilarious tween comedy on TV, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also the sincerest, funniest, and most painfully insightful. Uh, this second half of season two of this brilliantly awkward series about female friendship and the turmoil of puberty in the early 2000s is packed with more cringe moments and emotional honesty. It's such a marvelous depiction of joy and the indignities and the horrors of middle school. Uh, it remains a hormone-laden roller coaster. <laughs> uh, but towards the end of this, which is the final season of Pen15, so this is the end of Pen15, much like In My Skin, this is the end of it. Yeah. Um, the final few episodes feel like a punch to the throat, uh, where it like you know um, sacrifices a bit of the comedy for the drama, which I don't mind because it's the climax of these two girls growing up out of adolescence. Yeah. Uh, that makes it my number one of the year. Uh, I had to scramble both um, <laughs> both my articles for Potwire and for this to reflect that this was my actual number one, and it came out very late. Yeah. Uh, you can watch this on Hulu if you're in America. Uh, Pen15, uh, one of the best shows, uh, in my opinion, of the year, and the best show of the year. Uh, any like honorable mentions that you have? Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I'm definitely going to put Lennox Hill up there, uh, which we reviewed not too long ago. Technically a 2020 show, though. Oh, it's a 2020 show? Okay. Yep. Yes, that was last year. What else? Yeah. What We Do in the Shadow Season 3. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's definitely my honourable mentions as well. Hellbound, I already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think not that many year, this year shows that are covered. Okay. Like, I'm still fairly far behind with like a lot of the stuff that you've picked for your top five. Like I'm not even mm-hmm. at that season yet. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely I don't know I mean I want to say like holiday season I'll have some time for that uh, but we'll see we'll see yeah definitely uh, my honourable mentions uh, Mythic Quest season 2 oh, yeah. uh, was very good um, How To with John Wilson season 2 uh, Loki my number 6 uh, it, it could have cracked the top 5 almost mm-hmm. uh, but only because I've only seen 2 episodes of the new season I'm not sure but yeah, the two the two episodes are already just as great as season one, so <laughs> it, it it could it could climb even higher, uh, but by season finale, you know, it could. Uh, as I already mentioned, only murders in the building is one of my uh highlights. Uh, a show that is now on Disney Plus, but was formerly on Hulu. Uh, FX's Reservation Dogs is Ooh, really good. Yeah, Taika Waititi show. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also like to shout out season two of the other two, uh, which we also have covered on yeah. Behold. Uh, and finally, the one that came closest to cracking the top five, Feel Good Season 2, oh, was yeah. excellent as well. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I'm going to put that in my under my top 10 as well, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those were the best shows of the year, according to us. Uh, let us know if, you know, we've missed anything or, like, what are your favorite shows of the year? Uh, if you care to comment, you know, mm-hmm. comment on down below. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week to talk about on the flip side, the best films from the second half of 2021 because yep. we already covered the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of good stuff there too. And then we'll be back at the beginning of the year for probably one of the biggest uh, genre equality episodes we've ever had. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home looks to be the saviour of uh, the MCU this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about Hawkeye Season 1, the return of Matrix for the music, Matrix Res- Resurrections, yep. the Wheel of Time, uh, Gretzuko is back. Uh, Isa is covering The Witcher season two, mm-hmm. uh, and and lots more, man. So a lot of big titles coming up. Uh, tune in to us for because we have a packed, uh, jam packed end of the year uh, for you, Yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we we cap off this episode of Behold? Oh man, we really are like I, I was just kind of looking back at all the other episodes of of stuff that we've done for Behold, and yeah. and just genre inequality in in general. Like despite the fact that it's been essentially two years of pandemic, like, we really are living in a golden age of TV or streaming, mm. depending on how you want to see it. But, like, there's so many amazingly good things to watch that it is very difficult to watch anything that's... Like, it's very difficult to justify watching anything that's not good. You know what yep. I mean? Like, you really, really are spoiled for choice. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see, you know, kind of as we wrap up, what are the great stuff next year that brings... Um, are there TV shows next year that you're looking forward to? Oh, what am I looking forward to next year? Um, this sounds stupid to say, but Succession season four. Uh, <laughs> how how about you? Like, like let, let me think on this for, for think, a moment. I think the biggest one for me will be Expanse. Uh, uh but it's coming out this year though. It's coming out next week. Oh, is it next week? Oh wait, no wait. It's coming out uh, in two days time on Friday. Oh fuck. Okay, so does that count as? Mm. 2021 yeah it does count as 2021 yeah, it although 2021. it's, it's although it's final episode 
will be on 2022 though. Okay, so yeah, I'm definitely jumping a couple of weeks ahead of time. It's not the new year yet, guys. Uh, but yeah, I'm super excited for Expanse. That would be 2021, you're right. Hmm. Yeah, that would probably shake things up for me a bit, depending on how good it goes, I guess. Mm. Uh, what else has been announced for next year? I can't remember. I asked, um, I asked the question, but I can't remember, actually. Okay. Uh, off the top of my head, this is the most obvious one, which I thought you had picked first. Uh, the Law of the Rings TV show. Yes. Uh, seems to be great. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about House of the Dragon. I don't know. Uh, but... Uh. It, it, I don't know. It's not Benioff and Weiss, so it could be good. Um, yeah. Um, I am fairly excited, like cautiously excited for Moon Knight. Mm. Um, just because Oscar Isaac, Moon Knight, I think he, he could probably do one, one, like one of my favorite kind of like, well, he's not obscure. Moon Knight's not obscure necessarily, but one of my favorite, like lesser popular street level, street level kind of, well, is he really? Okay, we'll get into that when Moon Knight comes out. But Obviously. Yeah, uh, definitely yeah. that one of the things that I'm looking forward to. House of Dragon, I don't know. I, I really aren't sure about that. Um, she how looks interesting. Uh, I do love Tatiana Maslani. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure how that will go. Like we really have to see like how that works out. Um um, in the short term, in January, uh, season four of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel will oh, be yeah, out. So I'm excited for that one. Uh, season six of The Crown will be out next year as well. Uh, that probably is the one that is the most chop chop plus chop guarantee going to be good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because everything else we've said is just like, it could be good. Yeah. The Crown season six after like five incredible seasons is like, it's a it, foregone conclusion. It's, uh. it's, yeah, it's consistently amazing. Gonna win Emmys, etc. Yeah. You know, we already know. Um, who's the guy from the 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 Wire? The main guy, McNulty. Who's the guy who plays McNulty? Uh, um, Dominic West. Yes. Uh, is playing um Prince Charles, which is insane. Uh, fa- <laughs> fascinating. Insane. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is taking over as um uh, Princess Diana, so you know it looks to be a good caster. Uh, yeah. Um, Mandal- are oh, we getting oh, another Mandalorian season next year? We yep, are, right? We are. We are and yeah. they are folding in the pilot's TV show into Mandalorian. Uh, don't know. I haven't kept up with it. Um, Apparently. Not, yeah, not sure like at all. The, like the Kim's Convenience um, actor. Mm, is, the, the pi- yeah. yeah, the pilot thing. Apparently, they're going to fold it into, into Mandalorian as part of the story out there. Mm. From what uh, like, uh, on February, there's something that I'm kind of looking forward to. It's uh, it's a show on Hulu. Uh, it stars um, I oh, shit, I forgot who it stars, but it, it's about uh Pam and Tommy, Pamela Anderson and uh Tommy oh, Lee from yes. uh, from from Molly Crew. It's a biopic about them and you know their honeymoon sex tape that was stolen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of like looking forward to that because. The actors look amazing. Sebastian Stan looks and, like yeah, perfect as Tommy Lee. Yeah, and Lily it, James as Pamela Anderson. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when I saw the the prom- the promo photos for that. How mm-hmm. in the world? I mean, Sebastian Stan, the man of many talents. Yeah, yeah, he's not just Winter Soldier anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig Gillespie is a guy who I really really like. He has done Last and the Real Girl, which is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, he's done I Tonya. Uh, so I have like faith like, that this is going to be good as well, that, and it's not going to be one of those trashy biopics. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, like it's th- such a sensationalist. Uh, no, the couple has been sensationalized and and mm. kind of like 
uh, all of their career, right? Um, so mm. like it'll be interesting if they can bring something new to the table as far as that because, goes. Because you know, with the Tonya Harding story, he managed to humanize a sensationalized villain, lah, who has been yeah. painted out, you know, as this evil woman in the ice skating um controversy and all mm. that. So if he's able to do that with Tonya, I think he might be able to add some nuance to the Pam and Tommy story as well. Nice. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm actually. Kind of really looking forward to that. I'm I'm excited and yep. Uh, that's our her uh anticipated shows for 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, till next time though. This has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.